morning. Well, it's afternoon now. It started this morning, didn't it? If you have your Bibles and you want to follow uh, with me, turn to Psalms, uh, Psalm 139. says this, O Lord, you have searched me and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you know it completely, O Lord. You hem me in behind and before. You have laid your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you're there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there, your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light become night around me, even the darkness will not be dark to you and night will shine like the day, for darkness is as light to you. For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God! How vast is the sum of them! Were I to count them, they would outnumber the grains of sand. When I awake, I am still with you. Amen. Amen. What a passage of scripture. It's just amazing, isn't it? Amen. To think that God is sovereignly um, responsible for us. Even before you thought the thought that you're going to think next, he already knows what it is. Before you say anything, before the word is even formed on your tongue, he says, he knows what it is you're going to say. He's not making you say those things. He's not making you think those thoughts. They're your thoughts. They're your words. You choose. You have a sovereignty over your life. He is the sovereign over all of us, but you have been given sovereignty of your life. We choose. If not, we're simply puppets. And if we're puppets, then it's not possible to love God because he would make us love him. But we have the choice whether we want to love him or not love him. The choice is ours, and yet he knows everything about us. The psalmist tells us here, the body we possess is a divine masterpiece. Now, you might look at your body sometimes and think, well, it doesn't look like a divine masterpiece to me. Uh, But it is. 
It is because the Divine Master made it, created it, created it perfectly. It was planned. Not just the world was planned, but you were planned before the creation of the world. You were in the mind of God. He knew all of these things. You're made of the materials formed, it says, from the secret depths of the earth. We came from the earth, and our atoms returned to it. Only one day for God to gather them together again and to recreate our human form. Isn't it amazing what God can do? You don't disappear when you pass away. Even if you're buried and turned to dust or if you're burnt and turned to ashes, it's all still there in a form of energy that can be gathered together and put together to reform and recreate your body. Isn't it amazing what God can do? You're an eternal being, you see. We go through the valley of the shadow of death and yet one day we stand again before him a man or a woman before the man Christ Jesus and give an account for our lives we have been knit together it says by the creator's invisible hands formed, fashioned and made yes you you, me how precious how wonderful we are in his sight throughout history men have uh, they've sought to create buildings wonderful immense buildings for the glory of God maybe the thought that God would come and live in this place because he doesn't does he this is nice but he doesn't live here he lives in you it's when you come together and gather together, we form, we, the body it comes together. That's when God is here. When we all leave and the door is shut, God doesn't live in here. This is just a, a dwelling. I thank God for all the wonderful buildings that have been built and this building. But the best it can ever be is a place where his body can come together and worship and praise him. That's it. We sang that song that says... Our bodies are places where the spirit dwells and we pray to God through these bodies. That's what it's all about. Value your body. See it for what it is. The creation by which God could dwell in the earth. Acts 7 and 48 says, The Most High does not live in houses made by men. <clears throat> At the beginning of human history, when he created Adam and Eve, he created bodies by which he would come in and dwell. That was his thought in the very beginning. We would be the temples of the living God. That was always his plan, always his design. But of course it went terribly wrong, didn't it? And sin entered, and death entered, and so we were separated from God. God could not dwell in these bodies, because now we were all born in sin. And so he came up with a redemptive plan. That through faith in Christ's death, these bodies would be sanctified. As though it were 
the, the filth that was in them would be cleaned out by one simple act of faith in the Almighty, in His Son, Jesus Christ. We would be cleansed and then the Spirit of God could come into us and live in us again. And we would be temples of the Most High God. That's where you've got to see yourself as you see. You are the temple of the living God. Whether you're at home on your own or whether you're gathered together here, it's different. Of course it is. The body coming together is different from being at home on your own. But you're the temple of the living God. God dwells in you. And he's pleased to do so. He wants to be there. He's long for that. And all he wanted you to do was to respond to him in faith, to his, the death of his son, and immediately he could cleanse you and fill you with his precious Holy Spirit. It says in 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20, Do you not know, I like the way that Paul says this, obviously people will have forgotten the fact, or perhaps they didn't know. He says, Do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God. You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honour God with your body. I believe God spoke a word to me here that I need to bring to you as a church. It's the word to stand. Again, in one of the songs that you picked and sang and we sang together, there was one of the lyrics was, we are to stand. I've recently been doing a study of Daniel. Daniel receives three visions from the Lord. The third vision is in response to his prayer, his prayer of intercession. He knows that soon the people of Israel who were in captivity in Babylon would be released after 70 years and return back to rebuild Jerusalem. And so he's prayed and interceded on behalf of them. And then an angel comes to respond to his prayer. If you read through that, it's in chapter 10, I think, of Daniel, you see what happens constantly. He falls down. And it says on three occasions... The, I believe it was an angel. The angel touched him and told him to stand. Three times. It was as though he was in this place of intercession and prayer. And it weakened him because the enemy was strong and powerful against him. It put him down on the ground as it were. It wasn't God who put him on the ground. It would have been silly if God put him on the ground then God kept picking him up again. It doesn't make sense to me. It was the enemy, the force of the enemy pushed him down. See, he pushes you. He pushes you back. He pushes you down. He wants you to give up. He wants you to say, oh, I can't keep going on. Uh, I, it's all too much for me. I, I can't cope. That's the devil, you see. What God does, he touches us and he says, stand, stand. And remember what Paul says in uh, Ephesians 6. He says, stand then in the armor of God. Stand in truth and righteousness and peace and faith. Stand with the word of God. And he says, when you've done all to stand, stand, stand. See, sometimes 
and it's most of the time we can't fight against the enemy. He's too strong for us. What we have to do is stand. Just get up again. If he knocks you down, get up again and stand. 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 You don't have to say anything. You don't have to do anything. You just have to stand. Stand your ground. When we go from this world to the next, you want to be people who have stood. You might have got knocked down many times like Daniel. And Daniel was a precious saint of God who did absolutely nothing wrong as far as I can see reading the book. Yet he was overcome by this. And God lifted him and lifted him and lifted him again. Do everything you can to stand. That's what God wants to say to you. I don't know how that's going to apply in your life. Different situations. The devil is so, he's so knowing and crafty when he comes against us. He knows the weak points. He knows how to attack us. He wants to knock us down. And we can encourage each other to stand. When God... Back to the sermon now. Sorry about that. When, no, nothing to be sorry about. When God created you, he created something unique and special. There is no one like you. No way. Some of you might say, well, thank goodness about that. Because if people really knew what I would like, I wouldn't like anyone else to be like me. No, you're unique, you see. Unique and special to God. And you're someone he wants to come and live with. Not just by the side of you, but in you. The church often speaks in terms as though God is in heaven and we're down here. Try not to think of God in those terms. Of course God is in heaven. God fills the whole universe. He's everywhere. I'm not saying God isn't in heaven, but God is as much in heaven as he is down here in us. We don't have to turn to any direction to face God. Daniel did, remember? Daniel went to the window and he faced Jerusalem to pray because that was Old Testament. But in the New Testament, the spirit of the living God has come to live inside of us. And so God is with us all the time. Try and have this in your mentality. You're not talking to a God who's distant or you're trying to attract him or you're trying to bring him closer to you or you're trying to get his attention. He's living on the inside of you. Talk to him here. He lives inside of us. My house, he said, shall be called a house of prayer. I'm going back to your song again this morning. But you have made it, he said, a den of robbers. In those days, people had to go to where God represented himself in the temple. But no longer, God's here. When you got up this morning, he was there. When you had your breakfast, he was there. When you travelled here, he's here. And you'll take him home with you. He's the God who fills you, the temple of the living God. The scripture tells us that everything that God does is perfect. It says in Genesis 1 and 31, God saw all that he had made and said it was very good. Do you remember that, reading that? When he creates all the other things, he creates the, uh, or recreates them, I believe, but we won't go there. Uh, the trees and the, the, everything else. 
as he brings them all back into being again. He says, they're good, they're good, they're good. But the man, he says, the pinnacle of his creation, this is very good. You see, God wasn't going to dwell in trees or animals or fishes or birds or vegetation. He wasn't going to dwell in them. He was going to dwell in us. So when he made us, he said, that's very good. That's where I want to dwell, in the very heart of men and women. In James 1 and 17, it says that every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of heavenly lights. You know, when you hold a baby, a newborn baby, you look at it and you think, it is so perfect, don't you? You're just, you're always amazed. Just You look at its little eyes and fingers and toes and all the bits and you know that this, this precious thing is going to grow into a person where the living God will dwell because they will invite him into their lives. That's what we pray when we do dedications, that they will know this experience of being the temple of the living God. But you say, sometimes they're not always perfect, Philip. Babies can be born deformed, blind even, heart tremor, all sorts of things. But what I say to you, listen, although they might be physically not 100%, they are perfect to receive God. It doesn't matter whether they're blind or deaf or haven't got all the limbs or, or their brain isn't quite functioning quite well. They're perfect to receive the spirit of the living God. It might manifest itself differently. I understand that from what we would say normal people. But they're all perfect to receive the God. Psalm 18 and 30 says, As for God, his way is perfect. The word of the Lord is flawless. It's perfect, you see. All that God does is perfect. And when he made you, he made you perfect, you see, to house the living God. Isn't that wonderful? Absolutely wonderful. When God formed you in your mother's womb, he was forming your personality. He put it together. We have different personalities. We're different. He gave you giftings so that when you grew up you would do certain work it would come natural for you to do i look at some professions and think never never could you be a dentist <laughs> i can't think of anything more disgusting than <laughs> staring into the mouth of people all day long it's disgusting i mean but to a dentist they love it you know that's what I mean. now you might think oh i really love gardening I hate it. <laughs> Honestly, every minute of it, I have to be sent out to do it. And for the last 20 years, we've lived in a flat, and I think that's a real blessing from the Lord, because just, there are no gardens or flats, generally speaking. Someone else looks after them for you. So I can always appreciate a garden, and I think it's wonderful when gardeners have done their job. And I think, oh, this is wonderful. But you're not going to get me to do it. I'm sorry. <laughs> Everything that makes up our soul, our inner being, God has knitted it together so perfectly 
See, you did what you did because God made you like that. I'm doing what I'm doing because that's how God put me together to do this. People say, oh, I don't know how you do what you do. Well, I only do what I do because God made it possible for me to do it. And you do what you do because God made it possible for you to do it. I couldn't do what you do. And God looks at us all. And no one is better than anyone else. Do you get that? You say, oh, I wish I could do what you do. No! Don't put yourself down. That's what you're doing. You think you're elevating the other person, but the damage that you do is to say, I'm not as good as you. Don't do that, ever. Of course, I listen to people who preach and teach and things, and I think, oh, if I could, I could do it like they do it. They need to do it ten times better than me. But that's foolish. I'm me. I can only do what I can do, and I'm happy with it because God has made me to be like this. And there are so many varieties that God makes. There's no one else like you. You were made for his pleasure and his purpose. If you don't know this, you'll have been lost all your life. Looking for what's it all about. Even as Christians, Christians still don't know what it's all about. We live for his pleasure and the purposes of what he wants us to do for him. That's it. I exist for the pleasure of God. I exist to fulfill his purposes. It's not about me and what he can do for me. It's about how I reflect him. And so I'm at peace with my God because I've discovered that's what it's all about. I was looking into this thing about how we're so different from everyone else. I found there are nine physical things that's, that are unique to you. We all know our fingerprints are unique, but so are our toe prints, apparently. So don't tiptoe through a crime scene because they'll get you <laughs> with that as well. Okay. With our eyes, apparently our iris is unique to us. That's why a, a passport control, now you just look. Every eye, every eye in the world is different. Can you believe that? Of all the billions of eyes, there's one that's yours. Amazing. The retina of the eye is different. Our sh the shape of our ears are different. They are. Our lips, our tongue, our voice, they're different. See, there's lots of ways of catching you if you think you can outwit someone. Our walk is different. Everyone's walk apparently is unique to them. Amazing, isn't it? How God makes every one of us. He knows us and he understands us. He made us individually for a purpose. He has specific things for us to do. See, one day, we will stand before the judgment of Christ. Not whether we're sinners or not sinners, that's dealt with. We know we're sinners, and we know that Christ has died for us, so the judgment of sin has passed from us. We are innocent in the sight of God related to sin. I'm innocent in his face. That doesn't mean I haven't sinned, or even since I've been a Christian, I've sinned. But the blood of Jesus has cleansed me of all sin, 
and every sin that I will ever commit, His blood will cleanse me of that because I have faith in God. It's my faith in God that cleanses me. I believe that through the blood of Jesus I'm cleansed. But my judgment will be, Philip, did you do the things I made you to do? Did you do them? I don't want to put condemnation on anyone. I want you to go and feeling bad or anything like that. But if you know that God has asked you to do something, did you do it? Well, if you did it, and you did it to the best of your and his ability, you've done it. You stand innocent before the Lord. You say, yes, Lord. I never always got it right. I made mistakes. I was foolish at times. I, I, I did this wrong. But Lord, you know my heart that if you had asked me to do anything, I would have done it. It says of David, he was a man after God's own heart. But he could sin, couldn't he? And he could sin big. But God loved him because he was a man who, who would have done anything that God had asked him to do. He was a man after God's own heart. I'm not saying sin isn't important. But sin has been dealt with. It's the purpose of your life that's important now. Do you want me to be here, Lord? What is it you've called me to do? You say, oh, my work's finished. Well, you better go home then. Clear off. See, our work's never finished. It's never finished. We have purpose right to the end. Even though we might be weak and we might be frail and we can't do it like we used to do it or we wanted to do it, we still have purpose. Old people have purpose. The young don't always appreciate that. They sometimes put the old on the scrap heap. But listen, we know a lot. We've learned a lot. It's worth talking to the old. And it's worth listening sometimes to what they have to say. He knows everything that you're going to do and when you're going to do it. He doesn't make you do anything. Oh, he can bring pressure to bear, don't get me wrong, but we're not trying to duck out of what he wants us to do, are we? He's only got to just hint, just push us, open the door, and we're going, Lord. We're not, your, we're not your problem, Lord. I'm not your problem, Lord. Sometimes he only reveals a little at a time. That's the testing bit, isn't it? That's where it takes faith. You say, just show me the way, Lord, and I'll walk in it. He goes, well, I'll show you the next step. And you go, is that it? And he goes, no, I'll show you the next one when you've done that one. But if you don't take that step, I don't show you the next one. And then the next one, I'll light the path as we go. He doesn't show us it all at once. He might give you an overall plan, but not each step. He knows every thought that you're going to think before you think it. How wonderful. He also knows the moment you will fully surrender and make Jesus Christ the absolute sovereign Lord of your life. He knows that moment and he longs for it to come. So we can be caught up with self all the way to the end. But he looks for the day when we'll put self down and say, not my will, but your will, Lord whatever you determine and sometimes we make decisions and we go here and we go there and we go back and we ask questions don't waste time don't waste time move forward 
There's no good looking back. You can't change anything. If, if looking back will help you, give you wisdom for the future, then look back. But if it doesn't, don't look back and wish you'd done something else. It's, it's gone now. Look forward. Let him make up the years that might have been lost before because he can easily do that. We're a moving forward people. It says in Romans 8 and 29, for those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his son. I know when I'll have arrived, because I'll look like Jesus. Not in my personality, or even in my physical being, but in my character. I will know. Until then, I just press on. Keep pushing forward, as it were. Your every action and reaction is no shock to him. When you throw all your toys out the pram and lose it, he knew that was coming. He knew it. He knew what was in you. He knew that that's what you would get to. And he just works with you through it again and again and again. Psalm 139 4 says this, Before a word is on my tongue, you know it completely. You know those words you've said and you wish you hadn't said them? He knows all of them. Did he stop you? He might have tried to. But he was hoping that you would have grown up in him, that you would have stopped yourself, you see. He said, God, why didn't you warn me? He says, you've been walking a long time. You should have known that by now. Come on. Come on. He's also bound up in your life. He's so involved with you. You see, God isn't just distant looking down on seven and a half billion people. He is, he is, but he's here as well, looking down personally and involved in my life. Everything that I do and you do, he's involved in. Just getting this message together, is this me? Am I really this clever? I don't think so. It is the Spirit of God telling me what, what, what I should speak on and then helping me in the, in the preparation of it and then helping me in the delivery of it so it makes sense and it communicates. That's God. Of course it's me. I've practised it many times. Not this particular sermon, but the idea of doing this. And in time, God has crafted me. The worshippers, they've stood here week after week after week and God is is forming them and fashioning them and as they prepare the songs they want to sing God is speaking to them all the time they think it's them and I think this is me but it's not it's God isn't God clever that he can get right inside you direct you and all the time you think it's you you never think he's deciding all this he's just helping us so at the end of the day, we're thinking, oh, wasn't I clever? And God says, come on now. You are clever. You are good. You have practiced. But I was in there all the time. My thoughts became your thoughts. And my words became your words. And my actions became your actions. Even when you thought it was wrong, 
it wasn't wrong. Hmm. Remember, going back to Daniel, remember after Daniel prayed, he said he fasted and waited on the Lord for an answer. Do you remember how long he lasted? Fasted for 21 days. And God said to him, listen, on the first day that you prayed, I sent an angel with a message. But the angel couldn't get through because of the opposition of the demonic ones. See, there's all sorts of reasons why things don't quite work out, why you want them. And it's nothing to do with you failing. It's nothing to do with God not wanting to bless you. It's nothing to do with God holding out on you. There's a whole gamut of things going on here. But we can trust our God because he's perfectly made us and works with us. I like this, what Jesus says in the upper room when he's with the apostles, just the 11 that are there. He's going to the cross tomorrow. He says this, my father, in John 14 and 23, my father will love him and we will come to him and make our home with him. My father will love him. Love him if he does what? He says, my father will love him and will come and live with him if he obeys me. Obeys me. Our obedience is saying, yes, God, come. Have your free course and will in my life. That's it. With you, I can be a success. Now, not by material things necessarily, not by the world standards, but by your standards, I can be a success. And listen, if I'm going to spend eternity with you, that's the one I want to be a success with. That's it. It doesn't matter that I'm not successful in this world. That's the measure of this world. Well, of course, that dies when this world ends for you. But to be a success in the, in the face of God is to be a success forever in the face of God. That's it. I'll be obedient to you, Lord. Whatever it is that you tell me to do. In all your experiences of life, the highs and the lows, when you had plenty and when you had need, he was there. He was there. In the times when they were bleak and hard and difficult and painful, he was present all the time. All the time. Of course he was. He said, I'll never leave you just because you're stupid at times and do crazy things and want to run away from me. I'm never going to run away from you. I've come to live on the inside of you. Do you see what I'm saying?